Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. Welcome to another edition of Product Chat, Pragmatic Institute's webinar and podcast series where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and data-driven teams. I'm Eddie Gordon, courseware designer at Pragmatic Institute and today's host. Quick note up at the top, if you've not signed up for it yet, make sure you click to register on the next of our product chat series. We've always got another interesting webinar cooking that is designed to give you actionable takeaways. The next one is April 13th, 10 a.m. Eastern time. We will welcome Nils Jantz founder of Deliver for a conversation on using chat GPT to take product management to the next level. Hot topic, that one. So be sure to join us. But the business at hand today, our guest is founder of Citrix Solutions and a customer experience champion. Evan Klein is with us today. Evan, how are you? And welcome. Well, thanks, Eddie. I am doing very well. Great to be here. I have to say I'm a little intimidated by your background. Evidently, you're very well read. Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> Every single hopefully. one of them. Every single one. Twice. Head, right? Twice. <laughs> <Very good. laughs> we are so excited to have you today. Our two companies share a lot of overlap and interest in market research and feedback from customers to start with, will you just give us a brief background that leads you and your experience up to the point of Satrix and fill us in on and what that means and what your goals are there? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Satrix Solutions I founded in uh, 2008. So we're actually going to celebrate our 15th birthday here in a few months time. So uh, that was, uh, for those who remember 2008, the height of the Great Recession, not the optimal time to start a business, but right. <laughs> <laughs> I, had, uh, I had worked as the head of client satisfaction at a digital agency here in Arizona, I stood up a number of different voice of customer type programs, had a lot of success and saw the impact that it had on the business. And I was passionate about voice of customer earlier in my career as well, and something that's always been know, very uh, sort of fundamental to the work that I've done. So after uh, parting ways with that digital agency, I decided to hang a shingle and start Satrix Solutions. For those interested, by the way, Satrix, a uh, melding of the two words, satisfaction and metrics. So that's how we came up with the name. But here we are 15 years later, almost uh, working with 
business to business companies and to you know really help them understand, listen to their most important constituents, those being their uh, existing customers, prospective customers, former customers, employees. And with that knowledge, you know, the leadership teams at these uh, B2B companies really guiding important decisions, strategic decisions, investment decisions, roadmap decisions. So that's the type of work that we're doing. I love it. It's absolutely a great group of people that I work with here at Satrix and a wonderful group of clients as well. So something we're, we're quite passionate about. Beautiful. Satrix, a, a portmanteau, if I am remembering my high school English vocabulary quiz correctly. Portmanteau, squishing to satisfaction. Was it satisfaction? And metrics. And metrics. Yes. Beautiful. Evan, did you have any experiences early on before you'd come up with that portmanteau that required you to think, you know what, we're doing this wrong. We're not listening to the customers enough. The companies are are doing their own thing and they're just not doing it the most efficient way possible. Yeah, quite a few, actually. You know, I think uh, almost from birth, I was sort of hardwired to have, you know, an intense focus on the customer experience and more on a personal level earlier in my career where You know, anytime I had an experience with a business, it was a heightened sensitivity to whether they were serving me well or not, or whether I was frustrated. So I think that's always been, you know, I think it's an emotional intelligence component or, you know, just a golden rule element, right? Do unto others. That's been important to me for many years. But at that digital agency that I referred to, I actually created the job that I assumed after being there for a few months. They did not have a customer experience or a client a service type leader who was able to measure and understand the sentiment, the expectations, the perceptions of the client base. So I saw an opportunity. There was a gap. We were really good at selling. The sales team was bringing in new deals constantly, but it was that leaky bucket syndrome, right? They were losing revenue on the, on the back end. And so I saw an opportunity to get uh, really uh, much more sophisticated, more rigor, more discipline in listening to clients and understanding their needs and wants and wishes and hopes and dreams. And so I actually went to the chief operating officer and said, hey, I think we need this role and I'm your perfect guy to do it. So that was a good example of where I saw opportunity and the, and the impact on the business was profound uh, in that we were able to retain and expand those existing clients a, a lot more after we uh, started these listening programs and, and the reputation, the referral opportunities, the reputation in the marketplace, the reviews online, all uh, improved over a several year period. So you, when, once you see the impact on a business on revenue and profits, you really get an appreciation for the potential. Imagine that. Now, on, so on the theme first of how not to do it, before you developed these best practices that we're going to get into here in just a second, how are these business decisions being made in the absence of the right way? What's driving the decisions about product? You know, oftentimes it was a squeaky wheel, Yeah. right? Uh, it was uh, members of the leadership team who, you know, had connections with some of the larger accounts or people that they had worked with in the past. And you know, when someone calls you and is unhappy or frustrated with something, that led to a lot of uh, decision-making that we weren't sure, and in many cases may not have been, to the benefit of the entire client base. But, you know, the squeaky wheel, as they say, right? So it gets a lot of attention. And, you know, a lot of it was just uh, also individual stories or, you know, feedback from salespeople to help close a deal. You know, it would be great if we could do X, Y, and Z, or if we improve this and that. So, you know, it was really little stories occasionally that you heard or feeling or just the, the belief system of the leadership team. 
And what we did over time is, is converted that into much more data-driven decision-making, right? Actually having the facts, the knowledge and understanding instead of the supposition that made a lot of difference. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, let's let's start talking about some of those best practices because once we've labeled a, a few of these and, and named them, I want to come back and talk to you about how do you then talk to those executives who were used to running things based on opinion and squeaky wheel, and is it humbling for them? And is it hard to convince them <laughs> to let go of that power? Because it is a power, right? Mm, yeah. So let's come back to that. But first, the reason that people are here, let's talk about some of these best practices and, and how to do it, and specifically how Satrix has nailed it down. One of the descriptions of Satrix I've, I read online talks about customer feedback and specifically systematic feedback processes. This is one of the descriptors that I saw in relation to Satrix, systematic feedback processes. Now, I know what feedback means. I know about you know visiting the customer and interviewing them, but this idea of a systematic feedback process sounds much more appealing. It sounds more reliable. Tell me a little bit about what you mean specifically by that. Yeah, and really it's maybe the inverse of just sporadic, right? Mm-hmm. Which is mm-hmm. what a lot of companies unfortunately do is they, they feel there's an opportunity. Let's field a survey. Let's get some feedback from our customers through interviews or you know, let's invite some feedback in one form or another. And it just happens occasionally. It usually happens around a need, a specific question that needs to be answered. And our contention is no, especially in the world of B2B, and we work with a lot of B2B SaaS companies, The market is so dynamic. Your business is dynamic. The competitive landscape is changing. You need to have your finger on the pulse. And that's what we mean by systematic. It's something that should be ongoing, should be formal, should be, you know, have that rigor and discipline around it. Now, of course, it can be refined. It can change and it should in many cases, but there really needs to be that top-down commitment to have ongoing listening programs, voice of customer type programs in whatever form that they take. And so that's one of the first best practices that I'll mention is that, and I'm sure, you know, your listeners hear this a lot, and I'll just, you know, reinforce what many people know. This needs to be a company-wide commitment. It can't be just, you know, we're talking the talk. You really have to walk the walk and back it up. And that means a lot of things, candidly. It means not just a commitment to asking for feedback in a, in a thoughtful and disciplined way, but the willingness to do something with it, right? The willingness to sort of feed it into your processes so that you're constantly making improvements and refinements and enhancing the customer experience so that they know that the feedback they're providing is being listened to and, and used in a, in, a, in a real way. And so that's, you know, that commitment across the organization, that's one way that's demonstrated and there are many others, but that's a, a certainly a best practice. And in fact, what's interesting is I've probably talked my way out of some business in the past because I like to convey to prospects that if you're going to take this on, if you're going to start doing it, you have to be committed to it. You have to be serious about it. And again, that means a number of things, but don't be sort of lighthearted or you know, just thinking that this might be the right thing to do. You have to be fully committed to the endeavor. Otherwise, you put yourself at risk. Sure, this is not this is not a quick fix. When you're saying things like a cultural change is required, we're talking about new routines, new normals. We're not talking about hey, next month we're going to implement this one best practice one time and it's going to fix everything. This is a long term commitment and, and and a new lifestyle essentially for the company. Yeah, no, that's well said, Eddie. Exactly right. Cool. 
Tell me a little bit, we've mentioned customer satisfaction surveys and interviews briefly. How often do these need to happen? Who should attend them? These are, these are the questions that, that I think we hear often around. Who should be there? And most importantly, should I involve the sales team? Right. Right. <laughs> uh, well, and, and to the last point first, you know, everybody should be involved at some level, right? Just what we uh, just touched on is that every department, every individual in the company should understand what's happening, why it's happening, right? As it relates to these feedback programs that the company is going to undertake, and they should be aware of them and, and helping to you know, maximize the impact and the return on investment in their individual way. And that includes sales, includes marketing, includes product, includes the operations that, you know, all of the C-suite, human resources, see, uh, the customer success clearly. Uh, and so that's an important best practice also to sort of touch on something we, we just discussed a moment ago, is that the insights gleaned from these programs really do need to be, you know, proliferate across the organization. They need to be shared and socialized and made available to really everybody, because there isn't a department in a company that wouldn't benefit in some way or another from understanding customer sentiment and perceptions and you know, frustrations. So that's a big part of what we do with our clients is make sure that the reporting, the analysis, the takeaways, the visualizations are all compelling in that they compel people to act. They, they understand the story, they understand what's working, what's not, and they go to work with these insights in hand. So that's certainly an important part of it. So there's an element not just of doing the research, but Satrix essentially needs to sell the results to the company so that they are then used. Is that is that part of the process here? That is exactly right. You know, a data a data in an Excel spreadsheet is going to have a very limited effect. And you know, ultimately, there are a lot of great tools to visually represent the data from your customer survey or your in-depth interviews or even from an advisory board or a product council, but how you tell the story and how you convey that to members of the leadership team in, in a way that is easily digestible and makes it clear how they can act on it, you know, that's of vital importance. Again, because you know, if you silo, right, or if uh, the feedback is only shared with the CEO or with one department, the customer success team, then you're leaving a lot of opportunities on the table. So being able to convert that data into both the qualitative and the quantitative into something very meaningful and actionable is key. What are some of your favorite tips for convincing the company that this information is valid? Do you make use of, say, personas or stories to communicate that information? Yes, that's a great question. Storytelling is, works to great effect. Sometimes just a direct link to the voice of the customer in the form of quotes or even audio snippets can be very impactful. So showing the, the trends, you know, all the charts and graphs, certainly that show how things are progressing. The leadership team always responds to that. You know, are we getting better? Are we doing things right? Are, we, are, are the enhancements that we're making resonating with our customer base and the, the market at large? But also uh, sprinkling in some of those stories, case studies of, you know, here's an example where we saved a, a large account. You know, the account was frustrated. We did X, Y, and Z. Or this is a case where we modified the product to more uh, acclimate or to align with uh, the customer's use case. And this is the reaction and the response that we had from that cohort. So those are very effective means of telling stories. Brilliant. And this insight. Yeah. Can, you, can you think of any times when maybe that story just completely blew someone's mind? They didn't realize something about their customer or they, they just came to view them in a completely different way based on the information that you'd gleaned? 
You know, it's an interesting question. There's absolutely been some times where we've shared insights that the leadership team wasn't acutely aware of. Yeah. But but more often than not, it actually is. Yeah, we knew about that because oh. a good right a good leadership team probably does have some mechanism to you know listen to their customers. They're probably meeting with them. They're probably talking to their CS team. They might be reviewing you know gong calls from sales. Right. So it's not a, a complete surprise. But often what we see, and we take pride in this, is that we identify something that maybe was more important than they thought it was. And so it gets accelerated, right? Priorities are changed because of the insights and the findings and recommendations that we're delivering. So there are some eyes opened because, you know, again, they knew of it, but they didn't recognize the importance, the significance, the severity. And so that uh, is usually more often what happens than just a complete shock of something that they weren't aware of. Oh, brilliant. This is sort of like, you know, you've been you've been eating junk food for a while. You haven't been keeping up with your exercise routine. And you're like, I know I need to do something. I'll get to it. But then you go to the doctor and the doctor comes in with the clipboard and goes, my friend, you are in danger of this or this or this or this if you don't change your ways. And you're like, I know it, but now I'm hearing it from the professional and that really means something to me. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to get your get your button gear, right? Yeah, that's uh, well said. I you know, I, we we've had some interesting situations certainly over the years where a company has decided to divest themselves of a business because okay. they, you know, they recognized, hey, this is just we're putting forth a lot of effort and and resources and, you know, we're not getting there with that customer base. Or, you know, they've restructured their service delivery model, or they've changed their messaging and how they you know, talk to prospects. So there's a lot of you know, significant outcomes as a result of this work. But you know, as I said, it's usually an awareness that, hey, we need to accelerate or maybe shift priorities or allocate some resources here where we weren't planning to this year. Right. Can we talk a little bit about the benefits of hiring a third-party consultant to help with this work? Versus, you know, a company that might just say, we can do this on our own. Let's give it a shot. Benefits, detriments to, to either of those approaches. What do you think? Well, so you, this is coming from a owner of a company that offers these services. And it's, of course, <laughs> I'm perfectly aware. That's right. But, you know, the, the irony here is one of the things I'm going to mention, which is of great importance, is trying to remove as much bias as you can. Okay. from the situation. And of right. course, in saying that, you know, I have to offer up and people would recognize that I have some bias in that, uh, you know, we are a third party. So, but that's one of the benefits. And one of the reasons our clients come to us is to remove that bias from the situation. Like confirmation bias is a good example. Okay. When you're working in the business, when you're passionate about what you're doing and you look at data, you can arrive at slightly different conclusions than a un- an objective, unbiased third party. So a lot of our clients like the fact that we serve as essentially you know, auditors, like their auditors for their financial statements. We do that for their customer experience and voice of customer programs. We operate you know, without preconceived notions, and we're analyzing both the quantitative and the qualitative and the statistical with, you know, that, from that third-party perspective. So that's one of the things, if you're going to think about this type of work in-house, you know, sort of have it removed from the people that are in it day in, day out. And that's possible. There's a lot of companies that have, you know, data analytics teams or insights teams who are not, you know, on the front lines dealing with customers or not a sales, you know, uh, talking to prospects. They're a different group entirely. And that's a perfectly fine way to do it. 
we serve as that group for many of our clients who uh, you know, just want to outsource this type of work to, again, that, that third party. The other thing I would say is that you know, there's a lot of best practice knowledge that has been acquired over the years here at Satric Solutions. A lot of it is available, frankly, on our website. <laughs> we have a lot of thought leadership and point of view documents that we put forward. And obviously, there's a lot on the internet. So to those who might do it in-house, you know, just do your homework. We've seen a lot of companies who have issued a survey or launched a win-loss program or stood up a, an advisory board and have not adhered to best practices. Mm. And you know, as we touched on earlier, there's a lot of risk in doing that. In fact, one of the biggest risks of these type of programs is that the feedback is not, for example, a representative sample, and it sends you in the wrong direction. It actually causes your leadership team to do things that are not necessarily in the best interest of your broader customer base. Right. So there's there's real downside in not, you know, not doing these things properly, not designing a survey instrument the right way, not asking the right questions on an in-depth interview following a sales win win loss or churn opportunity. And so those are uh, some of the tips for people who are going to do them in-house. Do your homework and and try to, you know, remove as much bias and remove gaming as well to the best of your ability. There's a lot of gaming that takes place sometimes inside of organizations who do this in-house. That's what we call knowing enough to be dangerous. And there isn't a real danger there, I think, if you don't know exactly how to use these powerful tools. And they are powerful tools. I'm curious, uh, in comparing, again, uh, hiring a third party versus attempting this in-house, do you get different answers from the customers if they know that they are speaking to a third party rather than the, the company themselves, does that, does that affect the responses? Well, and that's a great point, Eddie. That's uh, certainly another reason that uh, a number of our clients come to us around those in-depth interviews where you're talking to a prospect who has selected you know, our client or not after a sales pitch or have terminated their engagement with our client. Absolutely, you would get different insight if you were the company calling, the salesperson calling, or the CSM calling and conducting that interview as opposed to the third party. It's just human nature. I mean, I'm from New York, so we're brutally honest (laughs) most of the time. Uh, So if somebody interviewed me, I would give them the full truth, even if it was with the company that I was doing business with. But more often than not, people are going to be maybe a little bit nicer or a little bit less constructive when they are being interviewed by someone at the third party. They don't want to offend. They don't want to damage relationships. So when you have a company like Satric Solutions conducting these interviews, you get much more candid feedback. And also, in addition to the candor and the full transparency, we're able to, because we've done thousands of these interviews, we're able to know when to probe, what to listen for, when to ask follow-up questions, when to deep dive on something that we think we hear that's a skill that's acquired over, frankly, many years. Right. And so I think, you know, again, it can be done in-house if you have someone with that level of expertise. But some of the reasons that uh, companies come to us is to rely on us to do those because we've been doing it for so long. I love that. I can, I can just picture you in an interview there and hearing a question and where somebody else might just gloss on past that question, something triggers in your brain because you've had this same interview a hundred times in the past and you realize, oh, there's something more to dig into there that the company itself may have missed if they just, you know, grabbed Mr. Vice President Executive such and such and said, go interview these customers. They may have missed that. They may have missed some deep thread that you see because of the experience that you've got. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, it's funny. I mean, sometimes uh, simple 
you know, approaches and, and things you do on an interview. I mean, just for example, you know, allowing for silence, right? I mean, everybody feels like they think humans just feel like they, they don't like those, those gaps in the conversation. And what we find on these in-depth interviews, if you just pause for a moment and let the individual sort of let, let the silence happen, the individual starts talking again and reveals even more uh, valuable insight. So that's just one example, but there are many like that, Eddie, to your point, where you know you have to know when to ask, when to follow up, how to disarm. Uh, you're conducting almost sort of a mini root cause during the interview to really get at the heart of what the drivers of, of a win or a loss or, or of a churn are. And the superficial is not nearly as valuable as when you really dig and, and probe. I feel a lot of pressure right now to just sit here silent for a moment. Let's both do it. <laughs> that felt good. That we, felt just really lo- good. we just lost Thank half you. our listeners. Nope, nope. I think they appreciated it too. <laughs> Lives are busy. They appreciate it. That's we get, I know in, in our business, a lot of questions around the win-loss interview process. And they are questions like, who should be doing the interview? How long should the interview be? What are the best questions to ask? How frequently should we do them? How many people should be in the room? You know, this, this nitty gritty, people are, are scared that they're not doing them correctly. And I think that's because intuitively they understand this is a powerful tool that if they do it wrong, could lead them down the wrong path, like we just talked about. What tips can you offer specifically about the best practices for being in that interview and how to run it? Uh, quite a few. And there is some variation, of course, that's allowed, but there are uh, clearly uh, approaches that uh, we've refined over the years that work really well, and we've had a tremendous amount of success. One of them is, and we encourage our clients constantly, get the names to us quickly. Uh, if you wait weeks after you've been notified that you won or lost the deal, mm-hmm. you know the longer the time goes by, the less likely you are to get them on the phone to agree to an interview. And then, you know, people move on, right? And memories fade. So first and foremost is do it quickly, respond and try to schedule it, you know, within even a week of the decision being made. Two is as important, and we touched on this already, is have the right person conducting the interview, someone with those skills that we touched on, someone who's not directly involved in the sale. So, you know, it could be, for example, someone in marketing who uh, conducts the interview as opposed to the salesperson. And then, you know, we schedule the interviews, we ask, you know, what's convenient for them. And we typically ask for a 30 minute discussion. So, you know, being able to accommodate the individuals that we're interviewing and, you know, giving them plenty of options and then, you know, asking for that 30 minutes. And then once you're having that conversation, we do, we do often offer a a safe place in the form of anonymity. Now, uh, most of the contacts that we speak with uh, have no problem having their name associated with the interview. And that's what happens probably 80 to 90% of the time. But we like to offer that anonymity up front just in case if they feel like you know, they have a lot to say. And again, they don't want to uh, harm any relationships or they, they want this to be more constructive. We could say, look, we'll take your name off of this or we'll maybe you know, carve out some of your statements and not have your name associated with it, bake it into some of the other interviews that we're conducting. And it's so, so it retains its value to our clients. It just, in some cases, may not be attributed. So that's a nice thing to offer up. And again, some of the others that we touched on as far as best practice, we, we often do things one-to-one. 
Okay. You know, one to two or one to a group can be challenging. And there's sort of groupthink that comes into play there. So if we have two or three contacts at a customer, one of our clients or a prospect, then we'll interview them separately more often than not, and then aggregate their feedback in our reporting. So uh, those are some tips. There are definitely a lot of others. We have a full ebook on our website, actually, around sales win-loss best practices, which talks about a lot of this and more. So I would encourage some of your listeners to check that out. Brilliant. That's on the website, you said? It is, yes. Obviously, win-loss is just one of many, many tools, but others, of course, uh, include competitive intelligence, advisory boards, product councils. There are so many more arrows in your quiver. Can you give us an idea of when one might be used versus another, or are all of these used in conjunction with each other and overlapping? Well, there are some companies that do many of the above, but you know your point is a good one in that it has to start with what are your objectives, as, as most things do. You know, what would you hope to learn? What are your objectives in this program? Uh, how do you see this impacting your business? And then we'll make a recommendation. All right, does this sound like you know, a relationship customer survey, or does this sound like a win-loss interview program, or would the insights be gleaned best through a, a product counselor and advisory board? So it really harkens back to you know, what you're aiming for, what you want to learn, and, and the venue in which you feel like you'll get that, or we feel like the client will get that best. But with product councils and advisory boards, so powerful, the insights that you glean. I mean, you're sitting in the room with some of your best customer accounts. You're asking them very strategic questions and listening carefully to what they have to say. So as far as direct link to the voice of the customer... That's one of the best customer experience programs, in our view, that you can begin. But, and this is a big caveat, they are a heavy lift. Uh, there's a lot of nuance to them. There's a lot of time that needs to be invested, and frankly, a lot of financial resources as well. Mm. And it does, uh, many people on the leadership team need to take part for those to be successful and to have longevity. So we love advisory boards and product councils, but again, it's one of those, don't dip your toe in the water. You got to really be committed to them. So true. You know, and aside from all of those, one other tool that I know that Satrix makes good use of is employee engagement programs. And while at first this may seem like one thing is not like the others, this is related and it's still critical and it's important. Otherwise, it wouldn't be under the same umbrella with all these other tools Tell us a little bit about Satrix employee engagement programs and how they can contribute to this overall goal. Yeah, what's interesting about that is actually when I founded Satrix, I did not offer employee feedback type programs as part of our initial solution set. So that came about from client interest and essentially demand from our clients that we start offering these services as well. We had a couple of accounts come to us and say, look, we we love what you're doing on the customer side. It seems like it's a lot of the same skills and experience that you would need to employ. So why can't you do it for our employees as well? So, so cool. Yeah, it was great. It was actually a, a few years after that we started offering employee net promoter score, employee engagement type services, uh, and some of the other things that we do. And you know what it comes back to, Eddie, is that you want to give your customers a voice. Of, you definitely want to give your employees a voice as well. That's what a lot of employees really, it's important to them that they have an opportunity to share their thoughts. And I think what sometimes companies do is they take that external view and almost prioritize it more than the internal view. 
And so our contention is, you know, give employees the opportunity to share their anonymous and candid feedback. What you'll find is that you'll get so many great suggestions and thoughts and ideas about how they can better serve their customers, what obstacles they face, what, you know, what's in their way, the hurdles that they have to overcome to deliver the best service experience to the customer. You'll hear that from your employees if you give them the opportunity to share that feedback. Again, employees, it does have to be in an anonymous setting. That's a, a critical component of it. And, and one of the reasons people come to Satrix is we were able to convey that confidentiality and anonymity, again, because they're working with a third party. But we love, there's a couple of programs that we offer. One is an employee opinion survey, which is frankly just like you know, it's an electronic version of the suggestion box from back in the day, right? Where companies used to have a literal box and you'd write on a piece of paper something you'd like to see done. This is that opportunity for you to share that in an online forum, which is very important. And then another service that I think every company should be doing, frankly, is interdepartmental surveys. And really what all that is, is asking your employee base how do the shared services inside your company, how well are they serving the employees? So think, for example, IT is a, is a common one, or HR. They're there to serve the internal constituents, the employees. And oftentimes we work in companies where if I need something from HR, you know, I'm frustrated at their lack of responsiveness, or you know, I have to make an appointment a week out, or I'm not getting the you know, type of feedback or insight that I need. So these interdepartmental surveys allow employees to share and score essentially the service from their internal teams. And you know, if you want to be committed to customer experience excellence to your external customers, then you need to start at home first and make sure your employees are happy with the service that they receive. Mm -hmm. I can see how there might be an extra layer of hesitancy on the part of the employees to give frank feedback because we're not talking about, you know, a customer that worked one time with a company and is giving feedback. We're talking about employees whose livelihood is is based on the employer that they're expected to be giving feedback for. How do you how do you quell their fears that they are it's okay to give frank feedback about their employer in these situations? Yeah, and it comes back to that uh, anonymity component. Yeah. You got to provide them a safe place, and it, a lot of it is in the messaging, and and also with time, because you know some employees are just inherently cynical or skeptical, you know, of their feedback maybe falling into the wrong hands. Yeah. But over time, you can demonstrate clearly that they do not have their names associated with this feedback, and more importantly, the culture is one of continuous improvement. Like we want to do right by our employees. We're not looking to pinpoint any individual or, you know, otherwise, you know, get into any kind of confrontational situation. We truly are listening because we want to do better for the culture. We want to do better for you as an individual, your level of engagement, because it's good for business. And so you can absolutely establish that maybe not on day one, but as these programs mature, you can clearly convey these notions to the employee base. So you get much more candid feedback. Get higher levels of response rates and participation. And employees, hopefully, the end result is they stay longer, right? And they talk about you in a favorable way on Glassdoor and other venues mm -hmm. because they, they enjoy the organization and they feel they do have a voice. And that gives them you know, confidence in the future when they're able to uh, contribute in that capacity. 
Yeah. Which is, of course, going to allow you to hire better employees in the future because they're checking glass door for those reviews, aren't they? That's exactly right. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, all of these review sites are really what empowered uh, customers and employees, right. right? You now have these venues where you can share and criticize your either your company or a company that you're doing business with and their products and services. So that's what obviously uh, pushed us into this world that we live in now where people to some degree may be over-surveyed. And sometimes surveys get a little bit of a bad rap, but uh, that's why it's all the more important to, to adhere to these best practices and make sure you're doing things properly so you can stand apart from all the other surveys we're inundated with. You brought up such a good point there and one that is perhaps a pet peeve of my own in my life. I think I open up my email inbox and I've got 30, 40 surveys in there for a company that I bought one thing from two years ago. They want to you know, take a half an hour of my time to tell them how to improve their company. We are inundated. That's the word you used, inundated with with customer surveys. What does a company like Satrix do about that? How do you make your program stand out to the interviewee so that they take the time to give this feedback instead of just going on to the delete the 60 other invites for, for interviews or whatever they've got in their inbox that day? Yeah, it it is. You know, look, I'm tell the truth. It's a challenge because you do have to differentiate between the companies that are just doing this as a, a matter of course, right? They're checking a box, yes. Uh, and you have to stand apart from them. The way you stand apart from them ultimately is, as we've talked about, is that you make sure it's very, very clear that you're doing something with the feedback and that they ultimately may mm. benefit from it. If, if they're an existing customer, absolutely, they are going to benefit from it if you're doing it right. And that will encourage them to respond to future surveys, right? Because they know they saw a connection between something that they shared and something that happened to improve the experience that they had with the organization. It also matters how you communicate this, whether it's an online survey, net promoter score, or a relationship survey, or whether it's in-depth interviews, how you message it, how you convey to the, the target respondents that, you know, why you're doing this or what it means and ultimately what they get out of it, that's going to encourage them to participate in a case where they may not before if they're, you know, again, just getting, it's one of those surveys they're getting inundated by. So those are some of the key ways to stand apart from all of the other programs that are out there. And, you know, look, sometimes we also, again, our clients are, are B2B companies. So there are incentives that can be offered that does help. More often than not, we're doing non-monetary incentives, things like a donation to charity on their behalf. Very cool. So, you know, it sends a nice message. And those those certainly help, as do, you know, maybe there's some tchotchkes or some um, discounts or something else that you can offer that's meaningful for the individual. So those are some things that you can be thinking about as well if you're going to do these in-house. Brilliant. Yes. Yes, yes. We're getting close. I know you've got a hard stop at the top of the hour. I've got, I think, two more questions for you, just because I'm having so much fun. They keep coming into my mind as you're talking. I'm loving it. That's great. Let's shoot. Go ahead. We got All right. The first one, I wanted to, to jump back to something we touched on briefly towards the beginning. What would you say to perhaps a manager who's hearing this discussion today, recognizing the value of gaining customer insights in this way, but needs to sell the concept to their executive, who's, of course, maybe used to running things based on on their experience in the past rather than truly gleaned customer data. How best could that manager 
convey the importance of what we're talking about today to their executive? Well, it's a good question. Not an easy one to answer. And it's funny because, you know, I'm not a salesperson by trade, right? I'm actually a, a frontline service person, have been almost my entire career. And when I started Satric Solutions, I was challenged with, you know, okay, now I got to actually close deals. I have to bring in some revenue here. Right. And one of the things many people told me early on is, you know, don't try to change minds. <laughs> if, if there's somebody who doesn't get it, and especially, I think, frankly, in the, in the world that we live in, the world of customer experience, voice of customer, if they're fighting you on the perceived value of this type of work, then your time is probably better spent elsewhere. Mm. But with that said, I think you know a lot of uh, organizations now, and there's a lot of tools and a lot of trends over the years about uh, everything being data-driven. And so that's really what we're talking about is even if you don't necessarily subscribe to the notion of the importance of voice of customer, another data point that can be very meaningful, can validate your suppositions. It could provide a little bit of extra context or uh, maybe even a different point of view that you haven't thought of. But I would probably approach it more that way if there was some resistance that you know, really all this is is another data point. It may come back and say everything that you already knew but at least then you have that supporting information. A lot of our clients are actually venture-backed or private equity-backed. So they have big backers that often sit on the board. I don't think a CEO is going to be likely to share that point of view that they don't believe in the value of customer experience. They wouldn't say it in so many words, (laughs) would they? (laughs) That's right. But what's what's been interesting and, and obviously a great trend for us is that a lot of these venture capital and private equity firms have also seen the uh, significant ROI of these types of programs and have strongly encouraged, to say it nicely, their portfolio companies to engage in this type of work. So it's coming from the board level, from your key investors. And I think in many cases, you know, many cases, the C-suite does get it. They do understand and they're on board. But in the case where there may be some resistance, you know, usually they may not win that battle. (laughs) But ROI says a lot and it says it loud, doesn't it? And, and that's an important point, you know, that I probably haven't touched on nearly as much as I should have, is that, you know, you can identify the small wins, you know, some actions that you've taken that have resulted in either revenue saved or upside or expansion revenue. Those are some of the easier ways to quantify the ROI. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, in a survey, you identify a loyal customer, someone who loves you. And you approach them about additional products and services. Of course, in those situations, they're much more likely to expand their relationship. So you can look at over time the number of products and services by customer and how maybe those in your promoter camp should be at a much higher number or ratio than those in the detractor camp. And that's relatively easy work to do to prove out that if you generate more promoters, then they'll probably spend more with you. Now, the holy grail of the world of customer experience is obviously to quantify, hey, if I pull these levers, then my uh, revenue growth will accelerate at X rate, right? Or if I uh, make these changes, my churn will be reduced by this, and here's the flow through to my profit line. Those, that type of work is a little bit more challenging to do. You need access to all of the data, right, historical and operational. But a lot of companies are moving in that direction. So in, in many cases with our clients, we have wonderful success stories where we are able to do that work uh, and quantify, you know, do the math essentially and show that they are having an impact to revenue and profitability. Brilliant. 
Evan, this has been incredible. I've got one last question for you. This is the question I, I like to call our the RK question. RK, named for our beloved VP, Rebecca Calajaris, who asks this one all the time. It goes like this. We've talked about a lot of things today. If you could get our listeners to do just two things differently after having heard you today, based on what we've talked about, what would those two things be? Yeah. And, you know, I touched on this a little bit, certainly one of them, you know, it's the notion around doing your homework, right? Don't, don't jump into any of these programs thinking, okay, you know, I could just download a template off of the internet, Mm -hmm. for example, and apply it to my organization. Everything, every company is a little bit different. And again, we're starting with objectives that, you know, may be different. Your customer base may be different. The relationships you have are often going to be different. So, you know, really put some thought and do some research in what are the right ways to stand up these programs because it pains me, but a lot of the time companies are coming to us, they've done work internally and they have, you know, for example, low participation or response rates. They were asking the wrong people at the wrong time for feedback. And again, it, it can lead you in the wrong direction. So that's definitely one of the strong recommendations I would make. Is to, is to make sure that you're adhering to best practices and you're doing your research into exactly how to, for example, de- design a survey instrument, something that's so critical. Ha- every word you use and how you formulate a question, every scale you offer, the, the flow, the order, the look and feel all matter and can skew data in one way or another. So that's uh, certainly one. And the second I would say is, and you touched on this, Eddie, is do everything you can as early as you can to quantify the impact, even if it's just those sort of low-hanging fruit stories, because that is ultimately what's going to get you that buy-in. And hopefully you have the buy-in, a leadership team, but the continued affirmation and recognition that these are having an impact on our business. So if you can show where revenue is gained or uh, saved as examples, then you know, you're off to the races there because uh, that obviously gets people's attention at the executive level. It does. Evan Klein of Satrix Solutions, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. If folks have questions about anything that we've talked about today, where could they reach out? Yes, uh, this has been great. And uh, go to our website, satrixsolutions.com. Hit me up, email evan at satrixsolutions.com. Uh, you know, I mentioned this earlier, we have a lot of content on our website. We take pride in, in contributing to the conversation, uh, you know, offering up our best practices and thought leadership. We just feel like you know, there's a lot of opportunity for organizations to improve how they do this work. And whether they work with us or not, we want to put out there uh, the best quality content that we can. So definitely check us out. Brilliant work. Evan, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Eddie. Really appreciate your time. Folks, don't forget to join us again next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 